Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life, and I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. want, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15. It's going to be our study tonight, Luke chapter 15. And um, of course, with the summer series, most of the guys are going to be doing more of a uh, sermon type thing. There's a difference between a sermon and a Bible class. If you haven't noticed, Bible class is a lot of questions. Most of us will probably be doing more of sermons. We'll be talking. Y'all be taking notes and studying and listening. I'll probably ask y'all questions because I can't help it. Um, but that means that some of them may go a little short. Um, some of them may go a couple minutes long. It will be okay. Tonight, we're going to end up right on time. Um, and then after that, if you want to, we can all drive downtown and uh, don't tell Clark, but sneak up on top of the Sonova's parking deck and watch fireworks in a little while. So, uh <laughs> For some reason, that's always the best place I've found to go watch them. So, anyways, uh, don't ask me about the legality of sneaking up on the parking deck. But, all right, let's go ahead and get started. Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. Tonight, we're starting the study. The, the, the summer series is bent around evangelism, reaching the world for Christ. Um, and so, we're going to have lessons about how to see the opportunity uh, to, to talk to someone about Christ. Uh, the, the importance of teaching children. And, you know, sometimes we forget that that is part of evangelism. Um, we're going to have topics about small churches or smaller churches. Um, we're going to have a lot of different topics on this. But they're all going to be focused around evangelism. And then uh, just a few months after we finish this, in February we will start our Fishers of Men course which will be a 12-week training. This, this is just sermons to encourage you and get you ready. And then in February, we will start a 12-week intensive training on evangelism. If you take the Fishers of Men class, here's how this is going to work, how it works everywhere. I've taken it twice. Rebecca's taken it once. Um, if you take Fishers of Men, you come on a Thursday night. Ours will be Thursday nights. You will have homework every single day. Uh, you will part of that homework will, in order to graduate from the course, you will have to study the Bible across the table. I want to say it's 15 to 20 times over the 12 weeks. So it's an intensive course, but it will it will get you trained to teach someone the gospel. The summer series is to get you ready for that and get you encouraged for that. And then the Fishers of Men course will be coming a few months after that. So. Let's get started. Luke chapter 15. Now, in any time you talk about Luke 15, you have to, you have to go back. Um, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son, but the problem with that is that the, Luke 15, the prodigal son starts in verse 11. And if you do that, if you just start, and he said there was a man who had two sons, you miss the context. You miss the reason for this parable. So look back at Luke 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
The reason why Jesus tells these parables, the reason why the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son are told in Luke 15, and the parable of the steward in Luke 16, the reason why those are mentioned is because of what is happening at the beginning of the chapter. You have these Pharisees, the religious people, the people that are supposed to know the law, supposed to know the truth, supposed to know these things, supposed to be the leaders of religion at that time, at least religion toward God. You have them getting upset. Now there's something we need to focus on in this passage. If you go over to Matthew chapter 11 and look at verse 19, uh, really verse 18, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon, they being the Pharisees. John comes, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, whatever you want to call him, comes preaching the kingdom of God and preaching repentance. And he's not eating and drinking like the rest of the people. And so they say he has a demon. He's, he's different from us. You know, a lot of times when we're talking about evangelism, Luke 15 is going to hit on this more, but a lot of times we shy away from people that don't act like us. I've told this story probably hundreds of times now. Um, back when I first started preaching, we had a young woman coming to Bible study on Wednesday night. She wouldn't come to worship. We, we were trying to encourage her to come to worship. But uh, she was coming to Wednesday night Bible study for four or five months at least, I would think. Someone sat me down after Bible study one night and said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? And he said, you know that we don't, we don't want to invite those kind of people to Bible study here at the blank congregation. I won't tell you where it was. Luke 15 starts off with that problem. And in Matthew 19, or sorry, Matthew 11, verse 19, you have them mad for the exact opposite reason. Matthew 19 or Matthew 11, verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So, Matthew 11, Luke 15. Same problem. These people are not going to be happy about anything. The world is not going to be happy when we're preaching the gospel. When we're teaching people, people don't like that for one reason or another. That's why you hear statements like, well, you're the people that think you're the only ones going to heaven. You're the people, the weird people who don't, um, who don't use instruments. You're the people. You're the people who are the cult. Stop spreading your stuff just five minutes before worship service. I was talking to Ron. We, we got a message on the church's message board, church's Facebook account. Make your stuff stop showing up in front of me. You're a cult, and I'm tired of this. And I said, sir, I'm sorry. You followed the page. I can't make our stuff stop show. You asked to see our stuff. You can't, I can't stop you from seeing our stuff. Luke 15 starts off with people mad because other people are hearing the gospel. And, it's, and they're mad, and there's no way they're going to be happy. 
what we're going to see in this parable, there, there are types of people that you just cannot make happy. But that doesn't change the importance of evangelism. In fact, in Acts 11, even Christians got mad for the same thing. We don't invite those type of people. I mean, you think, you think that's so strange that someone would tell a preacher that in 2000 blank, because I'm not going to tell you where I was when it happened. We think it's strange, but in Acts 11, that's exactly what they did. They went to Peter and said, why in the world are you eating with Gentiles? We don't invite that type of people here. And yet, that's, that's exactly who Jesus went to. Now, keeping in mind that 1 Corinthians 5 says that a person who is in sin, we're not to eat with them. So what's the difference there? What, what's, the, what's the difference between eating and drinking with sinners like Jesus is doing and eating and drinking with sinners like the Corinthians were doing? Well, the difference is this. We treat people outside of Christ differently than we treat the people who are inside of Christ. That's just how it is. We, those of us who are members of the body of Christ, are held to a higher accountability now. And so when we sin, it's our job to call ourselves out on it. It's, it's our job to, to, to address situations. And yet, when we're thinking about the world, we can't, we can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. We just can't. They don't know any better half the time. And if they do know better, they haven't put the two and two together. And so there's a difference here. Now, let's go on to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11. Somebody read for me verses 11 through 13. Luke 15, 11 through 13. With riotous living. Right. So, all right. I told you this is, I, I'm, I'm different. I'm not, a, I'm not a guest speaker, so I can have y'all read. Somebody open up to Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. Someone else open up to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4. And someone else open up to Ephesians 5 verse 18. And we'll be there here in just a second. Titus 1 6 is going to be the first one. I need somebody there here in just a second. So, in the parable, he starts the parable. Now, he's already told two parables before this. The parable of the lost coin, that if you lose a coin, you're going to look for it until you find it. No matter how small it is. If it means that much to you, if you are poor and you lose a dollar bill, you're going to look for that dollar bill until you find it. A sheep, if you're a shepherd, you're going to look for that sheep. You're going to leave the 99 and you're going to go to look for the one because that one means more to you than the 99. Now that seems strange. That seems backwards. Well, yeah, you lost one, but you already have 99. Yeah, but those 99 are safe, and this one isn't, and it's my job to go find it. And Jesus is telling these parables to, to teach these Pharisees, or at least give them the hint, that when he's going to the sinners to eat with the, with the, with the, uh, with the 
tax collectors and the sinners. He's doing so because they're lost. Now, he starts this par- parable. This young man goes to his father, says, give me what is coming to me. Now, that essentially what he just told his dad was, I would be better off if you were already dead. So why don't you just go ahead and give me my stuff and I'll leave and we'll call it even. Keep in mind that the father in this parable is not an earthly father. It's, it's God the father. This, this parable is often called the prodigal son, but I really think it should be called the, the loving father or the gracious father or something along those lines. How many times do people, ourselves included, go to God and say, I would be better off if you weren't here, so I'm just going to try to do it my way. And then we end up doing it our way. We can, uh, the great Billy Hayes, the great philosopher Billy Hayes, he's one of my good friends, he's not a philosopher, but the great philosopher Billy Hayes said that you can do whatever you want. You, You have the power, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. That does not mean that it's going to be acceptable or pleasing in the sight of God. And so this man goes to his father, and he says, I'd be better off if you just weren't here. Give me my stuff, and I'm going to go. And so he does that. Then the text says that he wasted, or he squandered his property, his his living. He squandered all this money on what the King James says is riotous. ESV says reckless living. Somebody get Titus 1 and verse 6. Titus 1 verse 6. All right, riot or unruly, that's the word for riotous living. And someone asks, this is a side note, completely aside from what we're talking about. Someone asks, does an elder's, do all of an elder's children need to be obedient, faithful New Testament Christians in order for him to be qualified for the role? Depends. Are they known like these people as prodigals that are going out and wasting? What the text is going to say later is wasting their money on prostitutes and alcohol and drugs and and things that will eventually, if not sooner than later, take your life. Now, back to the text. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4. Somebody get that for me. 1 Peter 4, verse 4. First Peter 4, verse 4. It comes right after 1 Peter 4, verse 3. Just in case. Right, so the world thinks that we're, that we're strange because we don't, we don't do what they want to do. We don't run with them to the same excess of riotous living, right, is what King James says. What this man does is... He doesn't just leave. He leaves and starts living as bad. It's like a competition to see how bad can he really be. Psalm 1 says that the person who is a sinner seeks out sin, waits for sin. Over and over again, Psalm 51 says that they, they, they look for sin. They wait and lie. They, they, they lie in the shadows waiting for a chance 
to sin. And that's what this man does. So, verse 14 of Luke 15. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in, the, in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the, his fields to feed pigs. Now, just an aside on verse 15. When it says he hired himself, the word there means he begged. He didn't get hired. He hired himself. He went to Jim and said, listen, Jim, I need a job. And Jim said, I don't have anything to do. And he said, I need a job. And he said, I don't have anything to do. And the next day he came back and said, I need a job. Over, and he begged him to go into slavery. He hired himself. He went into slavery. He sold himself into slavery in order so that he could have some food. Because at that point, that's, the, that's his only hope. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes when we're in the middle of something, we think that that's our only hope. I mean, he, he sells himself into slavery. He begs for someone to take him as a slave because that's his only way out. And realistically, very rarely is that the only way out. This man has put himself in this situation. He's paying the consequences for his decisions and for his choices. And so he thinks the only way out is to sell himself into slavery. Verse 16, when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, the pods. All right, have y'all ever had... Who likes popcorn? Anybody like popcorn? All right. Have you ever had the cheap popcorn from Aldi? The cheap stuff. Like the, it's like 49 cents a box. I'll give you a bag. You want a bag of popcorn? All right. I'll bring you one Sunday. Anyways, not of that. I'll buy you some good stuff. Anyways, it's like 49 cents a box, okay? At Aldi. It... And you know the little pieces that get stuck? Am I the only person that finds popcorn in their teeth like a year and a half later? I find it. We ate popcorn when we watched the Paul movie on Monday night, and I found a piece in my teeth today. And I promise I brush my teeth regularly, okay? Now, that, that little kernel that, that you find in your teeth after you eat popcorn, imagine that about the size of a kidney bean. That's the pod. It's not, the, it's not the good thing. It's the, the hole that you can't chew that stuff. I mean, if you find it, you might as well just spit it out because you can't chew it. It's that stuff. The pod is that stuff. And it's about the size of a kidney bean. So these, these pods, the pigs are eating them and he wants to eat them. Now he sold himself into slavery to a pig farmer as a Jewish boy. And now he wants to lay down beside the pigs and eat with them. You see the, see the progression of sin there? See the progression of sin? You never fall away from God just like that. You don't just wake up and you're no longer a Christian. That's not how this works. Okay? Um, there, there, there would be some that would say that, that just all of a sudden God can take away your salvation and you just forget about it because they're, they're what's called Calvinists. God chooses whether you're going to heaven or not and if God chooses you're not, then you're just lost. But that's not how this works. You don't just wake up one day and you're not a Christian anymore. And this man does that. He, he makes the decision to leave. Then he leaves. And he, he thinks he's having fun. He realizes he's not having fun anymore. Thinks his only way out is to sell himself into slavery. So he does that. Then he realizes once he sells himself into slavery that he's working at a pig farm and he's a Jewish boy and he's not supposed to even be touching pigs. 
but now he's working at the pig farm. And now not only does he want to just feed the pigs or clean up their mess. Okay, I have never worked in a pig farm, thankfully, but I have worked in chicken farms. And I hear they're just about the same. And, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I think I have, I have no ability to smell ammonia anymore. After all the years working in chicken farms, I, it just doesn't bother me at all. You can clean with ammonia around me all day. It smells like money. Anyways, so I've never been to a pig farm. I've never worked on a pig farm. But I have watched a documentary about pig farms, and I have seen them on TV, and they're not the cleanest animals. And on top of that, they don't eat that cleanly. And yet this man is now working at one, and he wants to lay down beside them and eat corn, popcorn husks the size of kidney beans with them. That's the progression of sin that we see in this parable. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's, he's using this parable because that's what these people have done. That's what these sinners have done. No person just all of a sudden becomes a tax collector in the first century. No self-respecting man is going to become a tax collector in the first century. It takes a progression. It takes... They sell themselves into slavery to Rome for all intents and purposes because they think that's the only way out because they've got to make money. You know, I've got to provide for my family. And so they end up working as a tax collector, stealing money from their fellow Jews. And he uses this parable, he uses this boy in the parable to, because that's a tax collector. That's the life of a tax collector. Verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger. I will rise, go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you. Just keep in mind that that is the same phrase that Pharaoh said in Exodus chapter 10 during the plagues. This boy is a Jewish boy, which means he, I, I'm saying boy, he was probably around my age. This guy's Jewish which means he has Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized, just like the Pharisees that came to Jesus. Anytime we bash the Pharisees a lot, we bash the, the religious people of Jesus' day a lot. However, I just want to point out, their discipleship runs circles around New Testament Christians a lot of the time. I mean, we we don't even get done reading the book of Leviticus and they memorized it, right? So he quotes, have y'all ever, ever had that situation where you know this is not going to be a fun experience and not a fun conversation and so you practice it in your head over and over and you say, okay, then I'm going to say this and then I'm going to say this and then I'm going to say this and that's definitely going to get them. That'll, that'll pull their heartstrings and then I know that, you know, I, I'm that kind of person. I have to plan my conversations beforehand. So that's what he's doing. I, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That sounds similar to me, at least, to Psalm 51. Turn over there. Psalm 51. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Psalm 51. Verses 1 through 5. And I'm just going to show you something that I think it may be controversial, but just hear me out on this. Before you, before you decide one way or the other, just hear me out on this. 
Psalm 51 is written by David at the death of his son who died because of his sin with Bathsheba. Now, Psalm 51 is the, the heart of David after he commits a sin, finds out that he's about to be found out, and so he, we just say he, he puts Uriah at the front, right? Now keep in mind, Uriah is one of David's mighty men. He's one of David's best friends. He's, he's you know, our, our president has secret service, and, and he has, you know, a secret service team that is with him at all times. And that secret service team probably gets to know him pretty well, right? I mean, secret service members of past presidents have, have talked, uh, you know, you hear interviews with like Reagan's secret service, right? He has this team of protectors that is around him at all times, and he probably gets to know them pretty well. That's David's mighty men. He, David didn't just kill this warrior. He killed one of his best friends. And so he's killed his best friend. Now he's, he's got a baby on the way. The baby comes, and because of his sin, the baby passes away because God takes that baby from him. And so verse number 1 of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. Now, keep in mind that when a child of God asks for forgiveness, God forgives him, right? Shake your head like this. David is penitent, right? Shake your head like this. Yes. And yet he, he, he says, my sin, I, I, I will never forget what I've done. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Does that sound familiar? Against you and against heaven, I've sinned, right? Against you, against your sight, or I, I've done evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, blameless in your judgment. Behold, now this is the passage that everyone gets upset about in Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is this is this may be controversial, but hear me out. I think that that verse needs to read exactly like it reads. I was born in sin. I've been sinned from the, from the moment my mother conceived me. Is it true? No. But David just killed his best friend, and now his son passed away. And have you ever heard a person who lost someone say, "Why did God do this to me?" Okay, that's not the time. When you're evangelizing to someone and you're trying to teach someone the gospel who just lost someone, you don't say, oh no, God didn't do this to you. See, what happened was you live in a sinful world because back in, you don't just go through the history of mankind with them. They're saying that because they're hurting, because they're mad. David's doing the same thing. I like the way that Psalm 51.5 reads. Is, it, is he correct? No, but this verse is not a theological statement on sin. This verse is a a glimpse into the heart of a man who is feeling as though he can never do anything right. Now back to Luke 15. Same thing's happening with this young boy. I've sinned against you, against, my, against heaven. Verse 20, And he arose, came to his father, 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. For an old man to run in that time period is disgraceful. Old men didn't run in that time. They would wear long clothes. In a minute, he's going to give this boy a robe, which is the long, uh, we might call it a dress. Uh, it looks like a bathrobe, but goes all the way to the ground. They would wear these long robes. It's hard to run in those, right? Ladies, is it kind of hard to run when you're wearing a dress? You ever tried? I don't know why someone would try to run when you're wearing a dress, but maybe you have a reason to. I don't know. Never worn one. I never plan on wearing one. Anyways, this man has to pick up his dress, pick up his, gird up his loins. You ever heard that phrase? Gird up his loins, which means they didn't have Hanes back then. Okay? Just put it that way. He raises up his robe around his waist and is holding it, and he didn't have anything on underneath. And he's running for his son because he sees his son. It's disgraceful. Like God on a cross being made fun of by his own creature, his own creator, or his own creation, rather. Right? So he runs on him. He kisses him. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Same thing he always, you know, he practiced this. But the father said to his servants, Bring it quickly the best robe, put it on him, bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. We'll talk about that in the invitation here in just a minute. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. The fattened calf. He's offering a sacrifice. They're not just having a party. The old brother here in just a minute is going to think they're having a party. That's not what he's doing. He's offering a sacrifice because he's glad that his son is back. Because my son was once dead, and now he is not. There was a sacrifice that brought us back from the dead, right? Jesus Christ on the cross. The, the picture there is uh, Jesus is telling them about his crucifixion before it ever happens. And so he, he sacrifices this, this fattened calf, and he starts to celebrate. He's excited. He's happy. He's joyful. Now, the word celebrate there is not the word for throwing a party, as it were. It's, um, it's joyfulness. It, they're having a family reunion, okay? This isn't, this isn't a, a, a riotous party. This is, they're, having a, they're having fun. They're spending time together as a family now. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. They began to celebrate. And now his older brother was in the field. And he came... And as he came, rather, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. This brother wasn't close. Now, the brother in this parable is the Pharisee. He's the one that does... We don't invite that type of people, okay? It's that kind of person. The brother, notice, is not with the father. Why did Jesus put the, the older son in the field instead of with the father? Because when you have that kind of mindset, you're not close to God. You're out away from Him. And so He comes back, and He hears this, and He goes to one of the servants. These, this type of person is the type of person who wants to talk about what's going on more than actually doing something. Uh, I'll never forget the, the most sarcastic statement I have ever heard um, about evangelism, and I, I, y'all know I'm somewhat sarcastic at times, 
I absolutely love it. And it was this. You know how some people get upset about how other people do evangelism? Well, your door knocking's not going to work. Well, your friendship evangelism's not going to work. We have names for everything. Well, your type of... Your type of Bible study isn't, you have to take the Fishers of Men course in order to be able to get someone to go to heaven. No, you don't. It's just going to help you. When we get there, you'll see. It will help you. It is not a one-stop shop because you're going to go through the course and then you're going to come to a question that we didn't cover in the course and then you're just going to be like, well, I guess this person's lost forever because, you know, Tim didn't teach me that in Fishers of Men, so I guess I just can't convert this person. The, the statement that I heard was, if the people who are upset about how someone is evangelizing should not interrupt the people who are evangelizing. Because that's what this brother does. He's out there going, wait, what's going on? Arnold, come here. Tell me. What's going on inside? Instead of going and doing something, he's out talking about it. And so he's, he's starting to get upset. Calls one of these servants. The servant comes. He's, he's more interested in talking about doing something rather than doing it. The servant says, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf. He should know that it's a sacrifice because we received him back safe and sound. And he was angry and refused to go in. I'm not going to have a party. I'm not going to have a family reunion. Oh, okay. I don't... He... You, Christians pitch fit sometimes, pitch fits sometimes, and the only harm that's going to come is to us, right? You have a person who's upset, and so they cut their giving. Y'all ever heard of that? That happens sometimes. A person gets upset, and they cut their giving. You know who that harms? You. Doesn't harm the preacher. Doesn't harm the church, because the church is going to function no matter what. It harms you right? They, he's pitching a fit. I'm not going to go in. Okay, fine. Stay outside. I don't care. Um, in the words of the great Curtis Cates, you can go to hell like a gentleman. Just do whatever you want. That's fine. Verse um, 29. He was refused. His father came out and treated him. Please come inside. Verse 29. He answered his father, look at these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command and yet you never gave me a young goat. Hang on, pause. They're not eating goat. They offered a sacrifice. He's mad and he doesn't even know what he's mad about. He's just mad. He's just going to pitch a fit. He's just mad. You've never given me a fatted, cat, a fatted goat. Well, that's fine because we're not eating goat. We're eating cow because we sacrificed. And that I might celebrate with my friends. This isn't a party. This is, this is a family reunion. But, verse 30, when this son of yours came, this son of yours, all right, not to uh, get into politics. However, there is a way that you can find contempt when talking about someone, when you will not acknowledge the humanity of someone else, that means you are contempt, contemptible toward that person. I did not with that woman. Y'all ever heard that statement before? It's contempt because he was mad. He hated her because she called him out. That's what this son does. When your son came, he's, he's lessening the humanity of this man, lessening the humanity of his brother. And that's a danger for members of the church 
when we're talking about evangelism. The danger becomes when it's us versus them. It's not us versus them. It is not the church of Christ versus every other person driving the roads or going to church somewhere on a Sunday that isn't approved by God. That's not the fight. The fight is us versus the things that they've been taught. That's an important difference to make. A person follows false doctrine because they've been taught false doctrine. A person preaches false doctrine because either he's been taught false doctrine or he has a heart problem and he needs to fix that. It is not us versus the world. It's us versus the world's thinking. Okay? And when we lessen their humanity, we, we lessen our responsibility to teach them. So, he says, when you're, but this, your son came who has de- devoured your property with prostitutes. You've, you've killed the fatted calf for him. There you go. Now you finally got it right. And he said to him, son, you were, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Uh, keep in mind, this is the older son talking here. He got two-thirds of the inheritance. He got the house. He got the land. He, he didn't say it, but the fattened calf that the father killed for the sacrifice was the older son's. It was his. He owns everything. The father doesn't have any property, any possessions anymore. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad that this your brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. Now, what's the purpose of that parable? The purpose of all three of these parables is this. Look to Luke chapter 16, verse number 14. So they get mad because he's eating with, with sinners and with tax collectors. Verse 14 of chapter 16. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, after this parable of the dishonest manager... Dishonest, dishonest steward, as some people call it. Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things. They ridiculed him. They said, "You're one of you are the you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached." And everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Jesus says, here's your problem. You're trying to justify yourself. You're the older brother. You are pitching a fit over something that you don't even know why you're mad. You're mad at me for eating with tax collectors and sinners. However, earlier, a Pharisee invited him to dinner. Pharisees were hypocrites. They invite Jesus to dinner because he's important. You know, he's, a, he's an important teacher. People are starting to listen to him. If I can get close to the important teacher, then maybe I, can, maybe I can springboard off of his fame. And so a Pharisee invites him to eat dinner. That's when Martha comes and anoints his feet with the alabaster box. Remember that story? You see, these Pharisees are the older brother. We are the important ones. We're always here. The problem is we're not here. If we start acting like the older brother, what we do is we put ourselves farther away from God 
and farther away from everyone else. That's when a person comes to worship and they sit in a pew and they sit down and they sing songs because they're, they're religious. They do all the right stuff, but they don't care about anybody else. They don't care about whether someone goes to heaven or not. They're, they're contemptible against those people. They, they lessen the humanity of them. Well, you know, those people just... Those people are just ridiculous. They're just not intelligent. Well, they're not, it's not that they're not intelligent. It's that they're, that they're just led astray. They've gone down this path. You know, if there's one thing the parable of the prodigal son teaches is that it's not, sin isn't just like all of a sudden and you're sinful. It's a path that you go down. You, you go and you have fun. You think you're having a lot of fun. And then come to find out it ruins your entire life. And there's only one way out. And you take that one way out and it takes you farther down the path of sin. And then you look up and you come to yourself, as a, as a young man said, you come to yourself and you realize this isn't working anymore. It's hitting rock bottom. A, a drug addict has to hit rock bottom, right? You know what that means? They've got to go to the hospital enough times and realize that... They're, they're OD'ing and they realize that this is the last time. I will not do this anymore. I've lost my family, my friends, and my home, and everything that I ever had, and it's and enough is enough. And that's really where we got to get with sin, too. It's my opinion that y'all know I am um, optimistic to a fault at times when it comes to people's sins. And someone will say, they're never going to obey. Eh, yeah, they will. No, they won't. Yeah, they will. Just stop. Yeah, they will. I will not tell myself they won't obey, but not because I'm some holy person, but because at some point they're going to hit rock bottom. I just hope they hit rock bottom before they pass away. It's just, it's just a little hope in me that maybe they figure it out before it's too late. But that's the parable of the prodigal son. Now, the important thing to realize when we're talking about evangelism is, number one, don't lessen their humanity. The world is lost because they need the gospel. And, and they haven't had the chance. And if they have had the chance, it hasn't hit yet. They haven't hit rock bottom yet. They need to figure it out somehow. And it's our responsibility to go and teach them. Sometimes it takes a little longer than others. Sometimes you have to give up for a little while. But don't lessen their humanity. If we do, we start to become this older brother that has separated himself from, from the father and from everybody else. And he's more interested in talking than actually doing something, right? So, that's the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, it, it's a parable about an evangelistic God. God searches him out. Even though it is degrading to him, even though he has to humiliate himself in front of everybody that's around, he runs to his son and gets him, and he sacrifices, and he does whatever it takes and he makes whoever it takes mad to get his son back. So let's go ahead and have a little break, and then uh, we'll get the nursery in here, and then we'll get started with our Devo here in just a minute.